Great, Mal. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. I think Java's really doing well. He's jiving in there. He's all fired up. It's a big case of the Mondays. That's what we'll just call it. We'll call it as day. You guys are being too kind. Now, Java, while we got you here, did, did you happen to go to the JSU game yesterday? No, but I I watched it on uh I watched it on TV. It was on ESPN three, like uh, a number of our games will be. So if you can't make it down to Veterans Memorial Stadium, um, but I'm glad it was the first shutout in over 15 years or something. 53 to zero. We we opened up the Deion Sanders Coach Prime era uh, with a bang. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we beat the pants off of these guys, 53 to nothing. And uh, I guess the tailgating was somewhat restricted, but we know as uh, time goes on, hopefully there'll be more and more tailgating permitted there at uh, Memorial Stadium. Yeah, you can't you can't keep a good a good tailgate down. And, you know, JSU has some of the some of the best around. Yeah, was the sonic boom on the field yesterday? No, because of uh, different restrictions, they were they didn't march into the stadium or perform at halftime. But of course, they did what they always do in the stands, and that's you know play play that good music. <laughs> yeah, they were socially distanced in the stands. I saw a bunch of video, but they were they were putting it out there. I mean, both on and off the field, JSU really showed off. It wasn't yesterday; it was Saturday, right? No, it was actually it was actually it was yesterday. Okay. It was a Sunday football Sorry. game. My half the days have run together during this ice storm. I've got the virus and ice uh, um, brain uh, blackout. So, Carol, what have you been doing? You've been holed up out there in the country. You've been in town. Where you been? Well, uh, I made a break from the country last Sunday when the weather started getting really bad. We have a tendency to lose power early, and I wanted to be in and be close to my mother during the storm. So I came in to Jackson, but I left my pantry behind. Ah, uh, so you came into a house that did not have a well-prepared uh, virus and ice pantry. Yes, and if I could have gotten across town, I would have come to your house because I knew there was some soup somewhere in the mix. Oh, absolutely. Kara made uh, some some fantastic lentil soup. Um, also, we had a, a we had a chicken parmesan a couple of times, uh, inspired by what we've been watching on television. We've been watching the Stanley Tucci uh, CNN searching for Italy special that's been running on CNN now two of the episodes however Stanley said that chicken parmesan is not an Italian dish but by golly we made it anyway yeah so you've had children and grandchildren and ice storm refugees is that right yeah um Zita and her family lost power uh, right at the beginning of the storm it was a tree that fell in the Bellhaven neighborhood that knocked out power so they moved in with us for three or four nights, and uh, we had a nice uh, campground uh, set up here with uh, a one-year-old and a four-year-old and four adults. But Kara did a lot of cooking during that time, uh, and we had a good time. So it was, uh, you know, there's always something positive that comes out of these uh, situations. Um, we had good food and uh, good fellowship, as my father would say. How about you? 
Well, I was really happy to have some, you know, quiet time for a few days, and I spent hours and hours with my mom working jigsaw puzzles, which was great. But I wanted to tell you about what I've been cooking. And okay. it's I have been cooking popcorn. That is what I've been living on is popcorn. Popcorn. But yeah, but it's not just any old popcorn. Uh, my, my friend Melinda Berry Palmer had given me for Christmas this Amish popcorn. It's called Ladyfinger popcorn. Have you ever had that? I have not. They are teeny tiny little kernels of popcorn. And, hmm. you know, I, I read about it and it's grown like in the Amish country in Ohio and and Indiana. And, and it's super tender and teeny tiny. And, um, you know, I've, I've been living off of it. Wow. It, the, Have you been di using different flavors on it? No, no, just, you know, I've just been... With salt and corn. Just popcorn and a Diet Coke with some salt, but the ears are little bit tiny, six-inch ears, and you can you can get this popcorn at Doris Berry's Farmer's Market on Highway 80, and I know some other people probably carry it, too, and I, I would love to know who does. It was just, it's outstanding, well, you know, I had a, uh, a great, uh, uh, wonderful event occur just before the, the ice arrived. Of course, we all knew it was coming. It was, it was built up as, a, as the polar vortex. Anybody who pays half attention to anything knew this was coming, that it was going to be snow and ice, and it was going to be storm, and it was going to be devastating. So my friend David Patterson, who lives out in Madison County, has a beautiful garden. And I mean, it was chock full of all kinds of greens uh, and turnips and mustards and collards. And so I met him up on the Natchez Trace about two days before the ice hit, and he gave me everything in his garden. So I, I've been very blessed with lots of greens and turnips uh, around our house that were fresh and delicious. And he lost every bit of it once the storm came, but I got the last bit of his, uh, his garden larder. Yeah, well, I did the same week before last with Donna Barksdale's garden. I went and pulled <coughs> carrots and all sorts of lettuce and arugula. In fact, I posted on cooking and coping what a joy it is to have a friend with the garden. But it is gone. I also got in this load uh, a bunch of arugula, too. Uh, so, so anyway, it was a, it was a blessing uh, to have it. And I have enjoyed it immensely. I, I enjoy David Patterson's gardening often. Uh, he really keeps me in fine tomatoes uh, in the summer. Yeah. Uh, he keeps a, a regular garden all year long. You know, he doesn't just do a summer garden. He does it year long. Well, good also, I, because I was quarantined in the house and stuck because of the ice and snow, I watched one of my favorite TV shows, which is this Dishing with Julia. This They take these old Julia child episodes and then they have a contemporary chef like Carla Wa Carla Hall who's been on our show uh and and uh Rick Loveless and other contemporary chefs they watch these episodes of Julia Childs and then they make comments as the program unfolds and I just love it it's called Dishing with Julia you can find it on the Create channel of uh, uh of MPB or on PBS uh, I guess what you'd call it 
Well, you know, I did exactly the same thing because on the show, I guess a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was you or somebody else brought that up. And I watched the chicken episode and the potato episode. Oh, the potato one was great. They were hysterical. But the chicken episode, she grabs like six or seven different chickens and just slams them down on the counter and says, Oh, this is Mr. Roaster. And then she'll slam another one on the counter. You know, it's flopping all around. It's, and this is Mr. Broiler. But it was just a great lesson um, in the difference in all the different uh, different types of chickens and when you use them. I was just fascinated how her how her her shows hold up today. I mean, she really introduced that whole genre of cooking on television. Yeah, she's magnificent. Did you ever meet her? I know Martha Foose had the great pleasure of meeting her and maybe working with her once. Well, I did not work with her, uh, but I I met her twice at different industry events, and she was just lovely. She came and did a lecture in Memphis uh, at one time, and she also did something in Natchez. I, I did not meet her there but I met her in New York at one of the James Beard events and she was tall she <laughs> she was an imposing and very kind woman but we owe her uh, a debt of gratitude for what she brought you know really bringing French cuisine to this country and you know speaking of Memphis uh, and we're on the tail end of Black History Month uh, I've seen a lot of uh, publicity about the restaurant called The Four Way. Have you seen any of that? Some national marketing group has sort of seized on this concept of promoting Black History Month, and they have highlighted this long-standing, I mean, 60-, 70-year-old restaurant in uh, Memphis called The Four Way, family-owned and operated, soul food place. And so I have marked it as soon as I uh, get my second COVID shot and get out and about. I'm headed to the four-way for lunch. Well, good. Well, in our next segment, we'll ter- we'll talk about some more Black-owned restaurants in our central Mississippi area because um, Java and I are going to get together after the show and decide where we're going for your birthday. Oh, I have some ideas. Okay, yeah. You got a birthday coming up. I do have one coming up. You know, we uh, talked about going, Java talked about the place where they have hot dogs made of carrots Oh yeah. I, yeah, that so wouldn't that would not go, be my choice for my birthday. There, but I have found in in the contest some restaurants: smoked turkey necks, smothered chicken and gravy, um, liver livers and gizzards, and where I, I'm interested, the jumping jack burger that has Monterey Jack and fried jalapenos on top. We're, we're going to talk and work it all out. You what just, is this place you're talking about? It is Soul Sisters Diner in Flowood. Okay. All right. Java, is this a place that you're familiar with? Yeah, I saw about it with the culinary clash. And then um, that's it's funny uh, that you said that, Carol, because that Jumping Jack Burger, I was looking at that like that is, a, that is something to behold. <laughs> yeah. The, now, the, now, the fried jalapenos on, on top really sell it. And and if I were the producer right now, when we go to break, I would play Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones. But I'm just saying, I'm not the yeah. producer. 
I'm just a co-host. He's here. probably holding it back till after the actual birthday. But Jav and I, we're going to talk about this and decide whether we want to give you a hot dog made of carrots or a jumping jack burger and turkey necks over rice. All right. Well, let's take that. Let's take that break that we're talking about. And when we come back, we'll talk to Martina Barksdale from Mississippi Weekend and get an update on their restaurant competition culinary clash and they are putting the focus here uh in february on black owned restaurants uh for black history month so stay tuned for that hi i'm dr jimmy stewart professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the university of mississippi medical center on the original southern remedy we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news you can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett. And as we have said many times, this is the show about the culture of Southern flavor. I just got a text, Carol, from one of our favorite listeners, our North Mississippi uh, Bureau Chief, uh, Chico Harris. And of what does course, Chico have on his mind this morning? Well, he's, he's got the four-way in Memphis on his mind. And he says, at the four-way, one must get the neck bones, for starters. Furthermore, he said, I was a regular there when I lived in Memphis 35 plus years ago, and I took Ginger there for my last birthday year before last. So there's a fan of the four-way. He knows what we're talking about. Well, speaking of uh, Black-owned restaurants in uh, Black History Month, let's welcome back to our show our friend Martina Barksdale, who is the host and producer of the Gray Television Media Show. Mississippi weekend. Welcome back, Martina. Thanks for having me back, Carol. We are, we are so happy that, that you're back and, and just waiting to hear about the, the winners and how the competition went. Yeah, so we're still in full swing of the competition. We just, um, the final four round just closed last night. So we do have two finalists and that is Mo Seafood and Wings and also Country Kitchen. Uh, so we've had about three weeks so far and we're going to have a taste testing live on the Today at 11 show this Friday and we'll know the winner uh, Monday, March 1st. Well, how many people have logged on and how many people have voted so we have over right now it's over uh, 15,000 page views and just within these past two rounds over 2,500 votes. Um, it is a little different this time. You can only vote once per round, um, but we have seen great engagement and it's even with everything going on, people are still super excited about it. Well, I have been following it and actually following the brackets and I've been fascinated and, and pleased that the top, the top people are, are not from Jackson. I mean, you really reached your viewing area and Malcolm, most seafood is in Mendenhall. 
Right. We got we got to go there too, and then Country Kitchen is in Georgetown. Um, and then Big Daddy Soul, that one looks wonderful in Chula. So yeah. you, you're really hitting hitting some great Mississippi towns. Yeah, that's what it's all about is really highlighting, you know, small locally owned businesses and bringing attention to them and hopefully uh, helping increase and in generating revenue for them. Right. Well, speaking of generating revenue, I'm sure that the publicity surrounding this uh, contest has been great for those who were nominated or who uh, are in the bracket and are winners. But besides, you know, the publicity and people learning about new places, what do your winners uh, of this contest actually receive? So the winner does get um, a feature of showing on our Today at 11 show live uh, where we'll talk to them and uh, find out their story and how they get started. Um, and there might be something else as well, but I'm not at liberty to reveal uh -huh. that. So you'll just have to tune in and follow Mississippi Weekend to see if they get anything else. It's a all expenses paid trip to Cancun with Senator. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> uh, just joking. We're going to stay right here in Mississippi. Yeah. So uh, now you've had multiple themes. I know you did the best catfish, right? Yes. So we just, this is because the catfish clash was so successful. Um, we had this great idea of doing back to back culinary clashes all year long. So right after this wraps, we're jumping into tacos and margaritas. Then we have best fried chicken and wings. Then we have a whole summer series who has like the best steaks, burgers, um, and then we have everything from gas station grub. The full list is on MississippiWeekend.com, so you can keep up with what we're um, highlighting for each bracket. Well, this is such an important time to do this. I mean, we have so many franchise. Malcolm's in the restaurant business, and the small businesses are really hurting, so I know that they appreciate this so much. Right, and... I, I understand it's been a hard, I guess we're past the year 2020 and it, um, especially with the winter storm, a lot of restaurants, unfortunately, are still closed. And so um, if we could just support local people, local products and local places um, to help them during this time, it, it's really important. Yeah, you know, one, you know, one thing that hit me when I was looking at some of the, yeah, I've been following the restaurants and trying to log on and read a little bit about them. These are all small businesses, and most of them do not have web pages, but they have Facebook pages, mm -hmm. and they post their menus every day, and, you know, it's incredible to read, you know, what everybody's doing. But, you know, one of the losses is, is that there's nothing about the owners. You know, there's no place on the Facebook form to feature the owner. So I'm really hoping that, you know, when you do your wrap up that you know, maybe on your website, you'll have something about the owners of these wonderful places. Yeah, we'll definitely be featuring and talking to the owners um, this week and next week. Uh, so you can get a little bit more backstory and uh, see why you should support more. Yes, like I'm wondering what the exact name of Soul Sister is. In Flowood, I want to. Uh, her so food, yeah, her food looks incredible. She's out at Grant's Ferry, but um, 
I think that's where we're taking Malcolm for his birthday to get a Jumpin' Jack burger. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I haven't had their food yet, but um, I know they're rec- like they just opened probably like a few months ago. So they're they're super new um, to Flowood in Mississippi. So I, I've heard great things thus far. So I got to go out and taste all these restaurants. Yeah, and Big Daddy's in Chula sounds like, a, you know, just a real area-wide popular place. They do plates, yeah, every day, and those look great. And Catfish Friday. I always love a restaurant that does Catfish Friday. And some restaurants actually do catfish and spaghetti on Fridays. That's an old-school yeah, thing. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, I always when I moved here, I was like, what's Mississippi known for? And somebody, a lot of people were like catfish and spaghetti. So which got me the idea to do the catfish clash, because I've I was I swear I ate catfish for the first three months I was here. <laughs> well, don't forget the tamales when you're doing your, tamales, yes. you know, that's an important food group in Mississippi. So yes. a lot of people claim to have the best hot tamales. You know, Carol, being uh, iced in, I've watched more television uh, in the past week than I normally would. And I've I've seen a lot of interesting things on there, including, as we discuss, watching Dishing with Julia. But I've also noticed uh, a public service uh, commercial that the the stars of Wayne's World, people who remember (laughs) Garth and, and Wayne, uh, from Wayne's World have really produced this hilarious set of uh, public service announcements to support eating local. And, and it's Garth and Wayne doing their shticks and they're hilarious. And guess who shows up uh, as a guest in each and every episode is Cardi B. And she said, yeah, eat local. <laughs> you sound, that's a great impersonation. <laughs> you sound just like her. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's a national, uh, you know, effort to remind people to support these small family-owned, small independent restaurants. And it's much appreciated. And, uh, you know, what y'all are doing uh, there uh, on Mississippi weekend is also much appreciated. And it highlights uh, an industry that is having a tough time. You know, it's not only just the pandemic, but to add insult to injury, we've been hit by this horrible ice storm and and, and a lot of restaurants haven't had water for a week, week and a half. We've got a boil water alert on, and that's hard to run a restaurant when you have to boil water every time you want to cook something. So again, you know, go out and patronize the restaurants that are open, buy gift certificates, uh, order to go, do pick up, whatever you can do. Let's uh, try to keep these folks alive. And if well, I could say one thing, it's not, um, and it's not to bash things like Uber Eats and Waiter and DoorDash, but they do charge a significant fee to these locally owned restaurants, um, sometimes upwards of 30%. So if you can order directly to the restaurants, I know um, a lot of restaurants locally prefer you to order through their own website or call in um, just so they don't have to pay that uh, that high fee, um, it puts a little bit more money back into their pockets. So they're able um, to pay their employees and things like that. Not saying to not use the apps and things like that. I know their drive is to support local, but if you can order directly to the through the restaurant, um, I do suggest doing that. 
That's a that's just a great tip. I'm so glad you brought that up. But you know, Malcolm and I have been counting down till we can go to restaurants. We're in our second vaccine. Malcolm, have you had your you have your second this week, right? I get my second on Thursday out at yeah. Smith Wills Park. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Moderna guy. You know, people say, "Oh, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm <laughs> I'm a Baptist." Well, I, you know, I'm a Church of Christ. Now it's like, are you a Pfizer or a Moderna? A Pfizer. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, t- tomorrow is my day of liberation. I am now two weeks after my Moderna and, you know, my dream has been to get a haircut and go to a local restaurant. And I had big plans, Malcolm, to come to Helen Mouse tomorrow for my first restaurant experience. But I think I'm going to wait till later in the week because it's, you know, everybody's going to have a hard time getting restocked and watered up. What do you think? Well, we opened on Friday. We we never lost water or power. We're fortunate. We're downtown where all of government and the banks and C Spire and Entergy, we're on that line. And and we've been blessed over the 36 years. We only lost power maybe one or two times for a few hours. And it's just one of those sort of luck of the draw things. We happen to be in a place that rarely loses water and power. Other friends like in Fondren, and, and all throughout the city, Midtown, it's just been a disaster. So many of them lost water and power, uh, and it's just it, it's just tough out there, as you know. Well, I'll be seeing you for some fried onion rings for my first meal this week. That'd be my great. first sit-down restaurant meal. And, and I can see Martina and uh, Java laughing at us because they're way too young to get the uh, vaccine just yet. They don't understand <laughs> why, why we live to be vaccinated. <laughs> Martina, thanks again for coming on and keeping us uh, apprised of, of how the competition is coming. Once again, tell our listeners where they can find this good work that you're doing because we appreciate it and we're glad you're part of our family. Yeah, thank you so much. I love Deep South Dining. Anytime you want me on the show, just let me know. But you can go to MississippiWeekend.com and make sure you're tuned in to WLBT today at 11. We'll have updates on there. But uh, Facebook, Instagram, at Mississippi Weekend uh, for all the great things of local people, local products, and local places in Mississippi. Well, thanks again for coming and joining us, and we will see you soon. All right, it's time for another break, and when we come back, we are going to celebrate National Cook a Sweet Potato Day with the one and only chef and great Mississippian, April McGregor. So stay tuned. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Welcome back to Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Carol Puckett, Malcolm White here. And before we bring on our special guest, April McGregor, we've got a couple of calls, callers, listeners on the phone. We've got Kathleen from Osaka. Hello, Kathleen. How are you on this Monday morning? 
I'm just starting to thaw out. <laughs> the southern girl, anything less than 50 degrees, I start dressing up like I'm going to war. All the clothes don't match, coats don't match, it don't matter, just get warm. <laughs> yeah, listen, I hear you, sister. I, I got a recipe for Java. I know he's going through all this, but it's a cauliflower recipe. It's very simple, very, very simple. You have to get a metal pot, a deep pot, about six to eight inches. And you have to get a metal colander, or uh, they call them different names, but uh, basically a colander. When you buy a fresh uh, cauliflower, you get your your, uh, leaves off and cut the stem flush to the uh, cauliflower. Wash it thoroughly. Put it in the bottom of that pot, oh, about two inches of either half water, half wine, or water, some onions, celery, carrots, a little mirepoix, not much salt. And then you get uh, on the side, be having ready a pack or two, only fresh uh, mushrooms. Now, as you put the cauliflower in the colander, put a domed lid or make a, co- a little uh, aluminum foil top, put it off of medium-high heat. Mark your time. It should take about 15 to 20 minutes. While you're doing that, you get your uh, mushrooms, trim the stems out, clean them, get about a stick of uh, butter or margarine in a little pot, and you kind of let them just melt in there. Don't stir them much. Don't do too much to them. When the uh, mince your little uh, the, the, the stems, and a little white minced onion, not much else, put them on the side. Then when the cauliflower is filling, you take a long skewer that you would use for like a barbecue or something, and you stick it in the side, not from the top. And if it comes in and out without any pressure, you know it's done. Lift it up with two forks from the side, put it in a bowl. You make a white little roux, a beurre blanc, a velouté sauce, whatever you want to do, you throw in the mushroom, little stems chopped, and a little minced onion. You could add a little white wine, lemon juice, it's fine. You set them on the table. You put the mushrooms around the top of the uh, cauliflower, and you pour the sauce on top. It looks oh. great. It tastes great, and it's simple, and you just have that one pot to wash. But it's real easy. can't mess it up too bad. That's you awesome. got that, Papa? Huh? Well, you know, Java is the king of cauliflower. I, pre- I appreciate that. I getting something new. And uh, like they say in New Orleans, as long as you can barrel the water, darling, it should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Kathleen. I'm going to I'm gonna Thanks replay so much, this Kathleen. back and, 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 uh, and see what I can do with their recipe. Thank you. Now, don't forget, Java, the stick of butter. <laughs> Not a tablespoon, a stick of butter. Thank you, Kathleen, for listening and for always calling and giving us great um, wisdom from Osaka, Mississippi. Also on the phone, joining us now, William from Starkville. Hello, William. Good morning. Uh, I don't have a, a long, detailed recipe, but just a comment. I wondered if you have, have encountered a culinary tradition that uh, is developing or has developed here in Starkville uh, called Lebanese Tuesday. And if you haven't, you might explore it, or Mississippi Roads, I think, might uh, uh, might even do it. But uh, it, it's a, a, a Delta family, I think, uh, with uh, a Lebanese origins, and they they take orders on uh, 
up until Wednesday or Thursday, uh, once a month, and the uh, clients or the customers run by and pick it up uh, on the following Tuesday. But the the menus are are exquisite and obviously Middle East, and I just thought it was something that might be of interest to explore uh, for your program. So I leave the comment with you and hope that it's of interest. Well, William, I think that it's a wonderful idea, and I appreciate you sharing it. I mean, what could be better than adding Lebanese Tuesday to Pork Chop Thursday and Catfish Friday? <laughs> I am, I am all for it. Oh, just by the way, their email address is Lebanese Tuesday at gmail dot com. So you can explore, start exploring it at that point. Good luck. Great. Now, now, Carol, you have a Lebanese connection that you occasionally get big dinners, right? Uh, Here in yes, that Mom and Nicholas turned me onto from, uh, yeah, from, from Vicksburg. But uh, I think I'll order my Lebanese food on Tuesdays. I, I think we need to make it a thing. I, I'm in. But to move from Lebanese, uh, now is the time to welcome our good friend April McGregor kitchen magician chef author mother wife and mississippi native april when we thought about sweet potato uh national sweet potato cooking day we thought who in the world would we rather say happy sweet potato day to than you you are our sweet potato queen Mm -hmm. well thank you so much carol i'm very happy to be here with you all well, and, and we think it's, you know, it's it's wonderful that, that you join us, but we think it's good for you being way up there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to get to talk to your home folks. It absolutely is. You you all are, are, are my, especially during these quarantine times where I'm um, not able to visit as much as I would have liked this past year, you guys are definitely a salve, a Mississippi salve for a... Yankee transplant. <laughs> well, April, I guess you kind of have, have regular episodes of weather like the one that we're experiencing, and we think it's the beginning and the end of the world. And I guess people in Philadelphia think, oh, yeah, yawn, another ice storm. Um, this has been a very interesting winter. Um, I'm actually looking out my window right now of snow, snowing on top of old snow. And um, my husband, Phil, who grew up in Philadelphia, says that he doesn't remember seeing that um, where it would snow on top of snow. So, um, which this is the second time in a week I've seen it. So wow. that is, um, we've had a lot of snow this, this winter. Um, and, you know, it, it has been usually um, the day or in, and sometimes the next day after it snows, things will virtually stop because it takes a while for them to get the roads cleared but usually after about one day we're back at it no matter if it's eight inches of snow or what right well it's wonderful that you post so often on cooking and coping because i feel like i kind of know what's going on with your life by what's going on on your table and it really warmed my heart yesterday to see the plate that you posted that you must have been really missing home because you said there was no fried crappie, but mm -hmm. you did a fried fish called porgy. 
Yes. And Hush Puppies in Slaw. And it looked like it was a plate from Bartram in Mississippi. So tell us about Porgy. Um, Porgy is, um, it's a, it's a fish that's often fried. It's a sea, I think it's a sea trout, like a sea, some type of sea trout, but Porgy is sort of the common name. And, um, it's mostly a recreational sea fish. It's a fish that people often fish right off the pier. That is that sort of fish and the kind of fish that you'll see people standing on the bridge, you know, um, over some little inlet waterway fishing. And it's often porgy is a common one that they're fishing for. Um, and it's often fried. It's not a very big fish. I think, um, you know, the record and uh, is, you know, only around four or five pounds. Like they're not very, they're not, they're not huge fish or anything, um, which we often think of sea fish as, you know, a, a, most of the get quite large. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's very common in, in cities, if, um, especially in African-American communities, you'll see, you know, fry, I, I was telling my husband when we got this fish, I said, you know, like from the Tribe Called Quest song, it's like uh, fried fish and porgies or whatever, you know, so, and he was like, oh yeah, I'm like, see, it's so, you know, it's what it's supposed to be. So we fried it and it was delicious. It actually tasted really similar to crappie. It's a very mild, slightly sweet fish and I dredged it in cornmeal seasoned cornmeal just like we do crappie and the only thing that we had missing were some fries uh, home home cooked fries or sweet potato fries as my family often does um and I was um you know I'm cooking for three people and we had a lot of fish so I decided we'd cut something out and I did make a few hush puppies and some slaw but I took it easy on myself usually when we have crappie it's for at least 20 people <laughs> April, yeah. do you ever make uh, sweet potato hush puppies? Um, let's see. I um, like a I pancake. have put sweet potato in all kinds of batters. I've made sweet potato cornbread, but I don't think I've ever fried it as sweet potato hush puppies. Now that sounds delicious. Um, you know, sweet potato just adapt really well to all kinds of bread doughs and things like that. So I could see that as being. Delicious. Have you made those? I have not, but it just occurred to me that I might want to try it. As I was thinking about a flourless sweet potato pancake recipe I recently saw where you use the sweet potatoes instead of flour, add eggs and cinnamon and just make your pancakes. Yep. You definitely can. And really old recipes of sweet potato biscuits will just um, avoid the... Um, the flour altogether where you would just use a sweet potato as sort of the the dough um for the biscuit so yeah and and you know you can dry sweet potatoes out and um and grind them up into actual flour too i mean that's very common in um it was common in the in the u.s it was something that um george washington carver did when we had a flour shortage during the war um and, you know, it's very common in Asia to this day where they use sweet potato flour for noodles and all sorts of things. Wow. Well, it is National Cook a Sweet Potato Day. So let's talk a little bit about the beloved music route. What is the difference between a yam and a sweet potato? Well, um, how we normally use the word yam in the United States a yam is a sweet potato. Um, the word yam in that context was started um, to be, um, it usually designated a brightly colored deep orange or red sweet potato 
Um, and when it first, when those types of sweet potatoes, they were actually Puerto Rican reds that they branded as yams. The state of Louisiana branded them as yams. Um, and they brought them on to the scene to compete with these northern, um, mostly Maryland, eastern shore of Virginia and Jersey sweet potatoes, which were paler and sort of yellow flesh sweet potatoes, not as moist um, and definitely not as brightly colored. And so that it, it so that's one way. The other way um, that yam was, um, it was just a very important food for um, enslaved Africans when they um, came to the US because it replaced a staple in their diet which was what is the true African yam, which we you can find in specialty markets that specialize in West African or sometimes like South American um, cooking. Um, but a, a real, a true um, African yam is going to be like the size of a football, very light colored. It's hairy on the outside. So most of us have never seen um, a true African yam. What we see is actually a sweet potato um, that's just been branded differently to designated it from what was prevalent in the market when it came onto the scene in the 1950s. Well, when I introduced you, I forgot to mention that you literally wrote the book on sweet potatoes. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> so. You know, uh, Hal used to buy uh, these things called Creole sweet potatoes. It, and I actually have the last box of Creole sweet potatoes that Hal ordered before he passed i have the box itself and and are those sort of the louisiana yam varieties mm -hmm. i would think um that is probably related to that i've done some research before in sweet potato um, marketing um and there are so many ads i mean i don't know if you're the vintage advertisement in produce um is just really remarkable across the board but sweet potatoes there's lots um and yeah and there is definitely something about louisiana Creole, like I said, I think it, a lot of it is United connected to the Caribbean and African roots, the whole, the African diaspora, um, and wherever you see the African diaspora, you see a very um, um, importance of sweet potatoes in the diet. Like I said, it's because it replaced the true African yam as sort of a staple in the diet. Um, but I think that's a lot of what that is. And it's also just sort of this Southern mystique in marketing that people, we you know, were kind of using this as a way to market when sweet potatoes started being shipped and agriculture started to be more of a um, national where we would grow things in certain areas and ship them, you know, into, <clears throat> into other areas all across the country. It was just became a marketing um, issue. Well, you grew up on a sweet potato farm, and you were from the sweet potato capital of the world, Vardaman, Mississippi. So tell us a little bit about the Vardaman sweet potato, and as Mississippians, you know, how do we promote our potato? What do we, what do we say to people that makes it different from other sweet potatoes? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I like that question. Um, one of the things that I often say about Vardaman sweet potatoes, and when I say Vardaman, there is a variety of sweet potato called a Vardaman, but I particularly just mean um, the region or what, you know, in France, they might call the terroir of <laughs> sweet potatoes. And that is that um, we have a, um, in, in Vardaman, we have a sandy loam soil. So it is a soil that is particularly good for growing sweet potatoes. And a lot of people grow the variety Beauregard, which is one of my favorites. Now, there's all, they're always sort of improving varieties for disease resistance and that sort of thing. But the Beauregard is one that is a nice sweet 
sweet potato that when you roast it in the oven, you get this caramelized drippings onto the um, to the sheet pan um, that are sort of the um, what you're really going for when you want to roast a sweet potato. That's how you know it's nice and fresh and moist is that it's dripping this caramel um, right out of, you know, its flesh there. And, um, you know, I just think what one of the great things about vardaman sweet potatoes is that they are really grown for quality. We are not the largest producers of sweet potatoes in the country. North Carolina and California both um, per pass Mississippi in quantity. But quality is our game. And for me, I would always choose quality over quantity. So quality um, is, is where it's at. And I don't think you can get a better sweet potato tasting sweet potato anywhere in the country than that those sweet potatoes that come from that sandy loam soil in um, the hills in, of Vardaman, Mississippi. Wow. When I think about the Vardaman sweet potato, I'm also reminded of the Smith County tomato, the Smith County watermelon. Yeah. And I've talked to the county agents in Smith County uh, several times about what makes a Smith County tomato so good or a Smith County watermelon. You know, they have the watermelon capital or, or festival over at Mize, and that's mm -hmm. all part of this terrain. And, and he, he laughed and said, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some of that. Um, there's also, I would guess, some expertise, you know, besides the soil in when you've had a, a specialty crop grown for a long period of time, you've had time to find the type of watermelon or the type of sweet potato that does the best in that soil. You have the expertise of people who know exactly when to pick it, exactly how to store it. I mean, with sweet potatoes, I feel like that is so important where I see people who are growing really great sweet potatoes, but then they sell them before they're properly cured or they don't store them correctly where they, you know, end up getting soft spots and things like that on them. So, you know, marketing yes marketing's great i think marketing's a good way you know you got to get your story out there but if it's true it's way better marketing right <laughs> that's exactly it can yeah marketing can only get you so far but yeah before we go today i wanted to mention that our friend adrian miller the soul food scholar did a little poll on twitter yesterday in april you may have seen it and you may have voted but he asked people what their favorite preparation was, and the choices were candied, roasted, sweet potato pie, or other. Mm -hmm. Roasted sweet potatoes were 61% of the vote. Now, I sweet potato pie is mine. That was a meager 13%, but I know you and Malcolm are big roasted sweet potato fans so I was hoping you could you could you, both of you could leave us mm -hmm. with how you roast your sweet potatoes not only the whole ones but the slices okay Malcolm shall I go first you go first you are <laughs> our guest here okay so I I'm very excited about the my newest method for roasting sweet potatoes this is new I'll start with my old one and build on top of it so whole sweet potatoes I put on a sheet pan lined with parchment so you don't have to clean up the caramelly mess. Poke them a few times with a fork. Start it in a cold oven set on 300 degrees. It may take as much as two hours to get those sweet potatoes collapsed in their skin super soft. Take all the time that you need. You want them totally soft. Um, once those are done, I usually just keep them in the fridge or the freezer and eat them all week. Um, 
but my favorite new method is I take the, after they've cooled, I take the roasted sweet potatoes just with my hands. I sort of split them in half so that they have this craggy open surface, put them back on the sheet tray, drizzle them with melted butter, which you can add any spice that you want. Um, you can add curry powder. You can add a little miso to your butter. If you want to go crazy, the, every kind of method, um, chipotle, anything like that works or just cinnamon and brown sugar. You just butter. I put them back in the oven on 450 until you get some little charred bits on the skin and a little crispy on the outside. They're meltingly tender in the middle and they're by far my favorite method these days for making sweet potatoes. Wow. I hope you're taking well, that job I yeah, we're going to have to wrap it up. But the only thing I add to that is I like to take a cold sweet potato out of the refrigerator already cooked and cut it in dowels and put it in butter in a skillet and, and brown it off that way. My grandmother did that all the yes. time and I love it. Twice cooking is the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, April, thanks a lot for, uh, for calling in today. We appreciate what you do. Thanks for being a part of uh, cooking and coping and, uh, you will forever be our sweet potato queen, and we will we'll have you back on soon. Thank you all so much. Good to see you, Malcolm and Java and Carol. Y'all have a great week. Okay. Thanks, April. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. It is funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is artfully produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, our guest, Martina Barksdale from Mississippi Weekend, and April McGregor, I'm Malcolm White. Now stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And please join us every Monday morning for Deep South Dining at 9 o'clock right here on MPB Think Radio. Forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. More at bcbsms.com. A very nice, quiet start to the week. In fact, we're going to have a couple of days of nice, dry, quiet conditions through at least midweek and a nice little warm-up as well. Sunshine with us this afternoon and two below. Our high this afternoon, right around 55. Tonight, a mainly clear sky. Overnight lows, right around 35. Vicksburg. Just a slight chance of a shower lingering into the early afternoon, otherwise sunshine upper 50s. Could see some frost as overnight lows drop down into the low 30s. And in Hattiesburg, sunshine on the increase today, our high this afternoon near 65. Clear and colder tonight, overnight lows will drop down to near 35 degrees. I'm meteorologist Sally Russell. This is Think Radio.